of nerds amalgamated i am the dj and with me today i have the professor hello how's it going i'm very good dj how are you oh, i'm going good i'm going good pretty pretty um warm day uh yeah i wouldn't know i was inside all day lucky man you with the yep. air conditioning air conditioned office jobs woo <laughs> so i take you had a fun filled day at the office yeah, it was pretty typical. Someone breaks something, they call me, I fix it. I don't want and, to and, understand. And, and you do it with a, with a smile on your face and a song on your heart, huh? Pretty much. <laughs> Unless they don't put the ticket in for three days and then it's urgent and they're like, I need this fix in the next five minutes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm not in good terms with those people. <laughs> Let me ask you, you deliver them next time they ask you for a favor, you just deliberately like shelve, shelve them and just go, Yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. And then when they rem- and then when they ask you, like, Hey, um, about that thing I asked you the other day, have you done it? It's like, you go, Nah, I'm no, still working I, on it. But. I don't ever do anything like that because when people look at the statistics for my work, they're not going to see this person was a bit of a pain. That's why I'm putting them off or whatever. And anyway, if I get the uh, deal with the people who are pains and get them off my shoulders, I have more time for dealing with the people who are nicer. Fair enough. And also with me today, I have Bucky. Hello. How's it going? I'm fantastic. What about yourself? I'm I'm good. I'm good. You good? Any good? Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Wasn't wasn't a fun filled day in the office for you? Ah, oh, not today. A, a day off in the off day off away from the office. Part timers, I don't know. <laughs> hey, hey! The beautiful part about being a part timer is you get more time to yourself and it's flexi time. Yeah, but where's your money? Still there. It's still going. It's still still in the bank. Still going to the bank. You're not making as much money as full timers though. Okay, fair enough. And it's easier to plan events for full-timers because they know when they're going to be working. (laughs) Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Biggest misconception there is you you just assume that the DJ actually works. I do work. (laughs) (laughs) What are you all about? Well, I haven't heard you complaining about work in a while, so it's entirely possible you don't work anymore. I do work. I just love it. (laughs) Do you work or are you employed? What? Do you work or are you employed? I am working and employed. Thank you very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you quickly snare the DJ. (laughs) Oh, you. (laughs) We started a new sport, folks. It's called Going Fishing with the DJ to see how quickly he bites. Uh, uh, So are you going to do the Rex Hunt accent to that as well? No. The one thing we won't do is kiss him before we throw him back. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, so um, so on to our first topic of of the night. Um, Professor, you've got a story about Atari's new idea. Yes, yeah, so many many re- re- regenerations later of Atari. Except unlike a Doctor Who regeneration, Atari just manages to get crappier and crappier. <laughs> it's now planning to make gaming themed hotels. They want to build eight hotels across the U.S. Uh, in the first one's planned for Phoenix, Arizona, which, based on what I've heard from Americans, is the only reason you'll ever go to Phoenix. 
and they're expected to include VR and AR immersive experience, uh, gaming venues, and esports event spaces. <laughs> Sounds really exciting, but they've chosen the wrong location because haven't you heard the um, Mario Kart real life kart track is open in Niagara Falls? I hadn't heard about that one. Or it's opening next month or something. So uh, uh, I know about the, uh, the Japanese um, Mario Kart tours that they do. No, no, this is actually a multi-level Mario like, or Mario Kart style themed go kart track at a theme park. All right, um, who wants to go on book a holiday with me? I've heard that um, in Japan that um, oh yeah, they drive. You can drive go karts on the road and stuff, but yeah, uh, the court case result has came out from that one as well, and. Um, the card company is ordered to pay Nintendo four hundred and fifty grand or something like that. I have to. F- okay. Um. Yeah, but that's because someone actually infringed on copyright. Yeah, don't infringe Nintendo's copyright. They don't play kindly. Yeah, they got. Yeah, you, you, can dress up, you can dress up in um, different superhero costumes with it, um, and drive on the road in the carts, and they and it's so close to being Mario. Nintendo stuff, it's insane. But they changed the word so it, it isn't technically breaching copyright. That sounds pretty typical. But yeah, I've, I'll just put a link there if you um, have a look at it. They've got a, a spiraling down ramp. I, or I, I'm hoping that's spiraling down because I want to have a run up that ramp coming up the other way. So you've got a couple of big jumps there. Yeah. All right. So what are we still doing in Brisbane? Um, um, we're too broke to go anywhere else. <laughs> The council, you know how Brisbane City Council is like. They're um, a bunch of tight asses. They, 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 they'll see this as a, as a hazard, you know. Uh, that's, that's, purely, that's purely the um, opinion of the DJ there, Brisbane City Council. <laughs> I, I, I do not feel that way, and I, I don't think. Do you feel that way, Professor? That they no, the, uh, the Brisbane City Council is very cool and very kind, and <laughs> I have no problems with them. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with your go-card and all that from now on, DJ. <laughs> yeah, there you go, your student discounts. <laughs> uh, I'm having a look at the photo of the uh, Niagara Falls uh, racetrack. It's on the American side, like just barely upstream from the falls. Mm-hmm. I think that's the American side anyway. Um, not sure. Like, Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, well, I think that a few, like 10 years ago when I was there, that uh, the greenish tower you can see behind the dinosaurs was on the American side. Okay. Um, if you scroll down a little bit further, there's a picture where you got the, um, the Niagara Falls in the background. Okay. Anyways, we're kind of veering off topic here. But, um, yeah, this style of hotels, it hasn't that been already done before, though? I mean, Japan have done it thousands and thousands of times. Like you've got a Final oh. Fantasy... Um, cafe, you've got a Detective Conan cafe, I mean... Yeah, but this is... This one's going to be themed on asteroids and pitfall. And it's not a cafe. It's a full hotel with events and stuff. Like, oh. Japan has got themed hotels, and America does it to a certain extent, but this is purely for gaming, outside and beyond anything else. You know, I've uh, kept reading that article about the Mario Kart truck. It's in Canada. <laughs> I'm apparently going crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, see, um, what sounds interesting, though, is the uh, GSD group who are helping Atari with this project reckon they have a nostalgic and retro meets modern look 
and they say, how cool will it be to stay inside an Atari? So I hope that means everything is wood panel. <laughs> because the key no, feature of Atari it, is wood grain. It, I was going to say, it can't be wood panel. It's got to be the wood laminate. Yeah. <laughs> Imitation wood laminate. I was just thinking, you know, with all, I was just thinking, imagine every room they have that old ET game. <laughs> so they're just going to build the whole hotel underground. <laughs> no, but I was just thinking, imagine like a couple's time in the in the hotel room, and they go, "Hey, ET the game. I wonder how was it like?" And they play it. Two, a few minutes later, they leave the hotel room in anger, going, "I hate this game. I hate it so much." And that's what? exactly why they wouldn't do it. You're not trying to upset your customers, DJ. No, <laughs> right, no, uh, we're not. You're not very good at this business thing, are you? Nope. <laughs> but um, with the VR and ARR st- type of things, I can also think of like imagine the weird, freaky things that happen at happen during couples' time with the VR stuff. No, family <laughs> friendly. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. How can you imagine? Because I have imagination, like most human beings. But hang on, this is Atari. They don't do Final Fantasy. <laughs> okay, well, what, would the, what would be the game, the go-to game then? Well, as Professor said, there's um, Asteroid. Didn't <laughs> was Atari involved in um, was it Outrun or one of the, in some of those games back in the day, or was it only Sega? I honestly don't remember. Uh, Outrun was Sega. Sega, not Sega. We're Australian, thank you. <laughs> Say it properly. Oh, you could do Pac-Man, Pong. Yeah. Oh, you got no. the original Mario Brothers? That's Nintendo. No, it was originally released on Atari, 1983. Nope, that was Nintendo. <laughs> it was a Nintendo game, but it was released on Atari console. Anyway, so um, this reminds me of a chain of hotels they have in America called Great Wolf Lodge which is a children's hotel, basically. They, the rooms are themed after wolf dens, but the main thing is a uh, interactive games around the hotel where players get given a RFID wand, or an infrared wand, probably, and you can wave at things to make things happen. And there's a uh, like actual game things where you can go into a room and there's an arcade machine that you use your wand to do a battle with a wizard on. Wait, so I wonder if they'll go for that wolf? sort of... Wait. Uh, I wonder if they'll go for that sort of integration or mm. if it'll just be paintings and murals. Do you mean Great Wolf or Grape Wood? Wolf. Okay. Yeah, the um, other topic I have for tonight is the ESA fighting against uh, right to repair. So the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, has decided to come out in defense of the uh corporations in right to repair by claiming that allowing players to repair their own consoles will lead to piracy and that players will damage their consoles because of course it's not possible for the average civilian to do any sort of repair or anything they reckon you'll put your fan in backwards and set fire to your console oh no a, a person ta- a person rent in of it Renovating their console, all the humanity. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There is actually video proof of people being stupid enough that they probably would do that. That's why they have safety features, so they turn off if you're dumb enough to plug it in backwards. Yeah, but remember there was, wasn't, remember that um, How to Build Your PC release online where it's the most painful build where everything the guy does is wrong? Oh, they mean The Verge. (laughs) The Verge one, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like yeah. that was 
Like, You're right. That, that is a pretty good argument against right to repair. <laughs> and in this day and age when health and safety is all about protecting idiots and morons from hurting themselves, to the extent that you have to tell people, don't drive and use your mobile phone to send text messages, especially when you're on a motorbike. Yeah. This is still pretty... I think it's a pretty weak argument that they're making, but... I wonder if she. I wonder if the person ever heard of the modding community. Well, not only that, the um, only way you can still play an Atari these days is because of people who repair their stuff. Mm-hmm. I've uh, worked with a friend to restore an Atari twenty six hundred. Would have gone in the e waste if it hadn't worked, but it only needed uh, like two dollars worth of capacitors. But okay, here's the thing: by her logic, car restorations should not happen. By her logic. Car restoration yeah, should be like outlawed. That's the sort of thing the car companies are trying to go for. They, the car, like the big reason the right to repair thing is spilling over to consumer space is because of farmers. So farming companies like John Deere and Toyota and of them are locking down tractors with proprietary software and encryption so that you can't do your own work on them. And the farmer said, hold on, this isn't right. If my tractor breaks in the middle of harvest, I can't wait a week for the repair store. I need to get it going then and there and then. And mm-hmm. they're trying to do the exact same thing to street cars, to game consoles, computers. Apple is uh, one of the big ones for computers. Uh, Louis Rossman's channel goes into a lot of detail about the uh, stuff he deals with trying to repair Apple computers. At this point, Apple computers are just basically fashion statements. Well, yeah. The uh, the new Mac Pro isn't too difficult to repair, but um, it's extremely overpriced. There's a uh, Linus Tech Tips video from um, recently where he upgrades his Mac Pro, and he points out that he bought the parts for the Mac Pro for about the third, a third of the price Apple would have charged him to put it in. It yeah, doesn't cost also... you two times what it costs for a, a repair. Yeah, but you've also got the fact that purely for the sake of causing problems and reducing potential of repair, Apple is designing their merchandise so that the average person can't repair it. And for some instances, it just can't be repaired at all. Such as like if the, the glass casing on the back of the iPhones... If you crack that, Apple charges you for a whole new shell for the phone. But I saw an aftermarket repair guy who did a repair on one and he managed to remove it and everything like that. The only area he couldn't remove the um, glass from is the area under the camera because they purposely seal it so that the camera is over the top of the glass and you can't remove that. Yeah, would that be uh, Jerry Rig Everything? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, he does some good repair videos. But um, But, a lot um, of the Louis Rossman videos, stuff like Apple said that this Mac needs a full motherboard replacement and it will wipe your data. Louis Rossman goes in and five minutes later he's he's swapped out a capacitor and the thing works. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not even bad, just bad for the consumer. This stuff is bad for the environment because that... Uh, that motherboard got reworked with a part worth a few cents and was back in action. Otherwise, they'd have to take it out, ship it back to the Apple recycling plant. It would get refurbished or possibly just shredded and melted down. So even if you don't want to just 
if you don't agree that people should be able to repair that stuff, you're still advocating for e-waste. Well, actually, um, this is actually got this law would actually go and ID is actually contrary to the move for countries like Sweden and so forth, where they're actually creating tax breaks for you to get things repaired and moving toward towards a zero waste. Um, system for the population. Yeah. Um, like literally to the like they've got they got it so that they've got more people being employed as re- um, repair technicians, and they've got Volvo uh, re- uh, stripping trucks down for things that can be um, recycled in whatever way. And I mean, like they had I wa- I've watched it a few times where they've got the the guys who strip a entire Volvo truck and they take it apart and all the bits and pieces get put into different areas. And there's components that they go, oh, well, we can actually sell this as a secondhand part or so there's no issues with that or this part here that'll go through the recycling process and it'll it'll come back out as a new vehicle. And even to the tyres were to be shredded so they they turn into, um, what's the name, road surface or something like that. Yeah. So at the very end of the day, it was... Literally only, I think, less than a 40-gallon drum of waste that had to be sent to landfill. And they said, we're, we're going to get that down so there's literally everything gets recycled. And this was off of a big prime mover. So, yeah. Yeah, but even if they did open up repair and allow you to buy replacement parts, swapping the hard drive in your PlayStation isn't going to make it possible for you to hack games. And the um, she seems to think that right to repair act Activists want access to the firmware, which isn't part of any major right to repair movement that I know of. In some cases, access to the firmware is needed for repair, but that's because they put in stupid restrictions to stop you from being able to repair it. If they stop putting in those restrictions, they could keep their firmware as a lockdown binary blob that no one can change or decrypt and have the security they want, but still let people make the repairs they need to keep their hardware functioning. Yeah, um... She does actually understand that um, the people who are picking digital locks and that aren't really actually going to be worried too much about the idea of what the law says. Yep. Um, pirates are going to pirate. You're not going to stop them by locking down your hardware. Well, it's not even just pirates. you got people out there that just want to know how things work and why things happen. And, yes. My biggest question would be, well, how will this affect the modding communities and um, game developers and whatnot? Well, they've already locked down modding pretty well on modern consoles. Um, the thing is, with consoles, you've generally always needed to crack the firmware to be able to mod it. Mm-hmm. Unless you have something like the uh, console modding in Skyrim, which is specifically built into the game. But um, Yeah, modding still happens. It's just... It's not as openly advertised as what it used to be. Yeah, yeah, but it, also, it still happens. Yeah. And these days, and you're more what really to be sucks is you're gonna, you, you, you might also miss out on a couple of like fantasy builds. Like I remember one video uh, a while back where some some company managed to build all three consoles into one mother drive. Yeah, uh, Ben Heck does a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he hacks like. Hacking in the building things way, not in the computer hacker way. But he does a, uh, a he does like handheld Ataris or portable Xboxes, Xbox laptops and stuff like that. But um, that doesn't help people pirate. That just he gets in there and builds what he wants. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with piracy. And but 
some of the think he does. But some of the software hacks, like a lot of the top guys in software development are hackers. Just they they hack each other's stuff just to see how thing how someone else is doing has done something. And like I know I know people that literally that's like they 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 write all their own software for so many different things and work professionally in the industry. But when they see something really cool, they will go and crack it open to see what the code is to see how they've done it and so they can appreciate it and it's yeah they're not they're not pirating it's just literally it's the same as you get people with cars they go and look under the bonnet to see how it works the software it's the same you you open it up the code to see how it works and learn and that's how we've gone from real to real and card computing from back in the 50 1950 to where we are today with ai and everything like that is literally people taking a peek under the bonnet at the code and going oh hey that's a brilliant idea i can use that in my own that that sort of concept in what i'm doing to overcome that problem i'm having and the reality is is you get a lot of the software developers they'll talk about stuff and they'll they'll help each other out like yeah everyone's working to try and make the best thing but yeah this is this is purely the corporation behind it it's not the actual software developers themselves do you reckon that she's you reckon she's just saying it out of fear like oh this because like we've been talking we've been hearing talks of like okay cross-platforming like cross-platforming with the future of gaming and we might get um new consoles and whatnot do you reckon she's trying to like say oh this might this might lead to some really bad scenarios with all this cross-platforming stuff. No, she doesn't mention that at all. That's completely a different issue. The issue here is that they think that locking down your hardware so that people can't fix it is equivalent to stopping piracy. Or at Mm -hmm. least that's the excuse they're using so that people can't repair and have to buy a whole new Xbox. But can you you imagine, though, Matt, um, in the in, in the near future, you can transfer all your PlayStation memory to the Xbox and and maybe from a console to the PC. No, you couldn't transfer between a, an Xbox and a PlayStation because they use different formats and different hardware. True, true, but it's could getting you imagine closer it, now though? since they're basically all x86 boxes under the hood. But I don't think that's a realistic concern. It would be a lot of effort for not much benefit. Yeah. So, final thoughts on th- on, on the two topics, um, guys? Uh, maybe I should take my friend's restored Atari to the Atari Hotel. Can you imagine the ho- Can you imagine the Atari Hotel being being go- going all going all crazy about this? <laughs> well, they probably never know because it's undetectable, and people have been doing this for years with Ataris because they're actually built out of human-sized components. Like, you can replace by hand every component on an Atari 2600. The, you can't do that for a modern laptop or console board because the components are so damn small. Hmm, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, next topic is Bucky's about uh, the Tarantula Nebula. Well, Bucks just had to step away, so how about you take us on with your topic? Okay, um, so my topic, my f- the first one I have is an article about IDW Publishing and they've released their financial statements and it's not looking good, not looking really Why is good it not at all good? in terms of they lost a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, I meant $26.4 million. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, um, 
IDW, so 2019 Q4 financial report has been released, and the the media holdings as a whole has lost 26.4 million on revenue of 62.6 million. That's a lot of money they've lost. That's like half of it. So, what are their uh, shows and comics? Because I see um, here IDW, that uh, IDW, um, Wyatt Earp, well, Wyona Earp. Um, what's the other one they're famous for? The V Wars, October Fa- Faction. They're becoming. They're coming over to Netflix. Apparently, um, give me a second. So they've lost uh, the comic books side of things. They've lost five point two million on their own. Yeah, most of their losses are coming from TV. Yeah, from the IDW Entertainment branch. Although they apparently have a travel brochure printing business, which lost one point three million dollars last year. Hmm. I suppose that makes sense if they're a uh, vertically integrated comic publisher. They'd have access to their own printing presses. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's not looking good if all of their units seem to be losing money. Oh, man, that's 26.4 million. That's a... Uh... <laughs> well, what what is their value as a company? Their revenue was 62.6 million. But I don't see anywhere in the article what their actual revenue is or what their value is. I think their overall value would be much more than that, but hang a second. I do like that he uh, is apparently Howard Jonas, the CEO of uh, IDW Media Holdings is uh, keeps touting their Netflix adaptations as if they're going to one day just make it rich. Well, I feel like well, Netflix adaptations are the new video game tie-ins. You pump it out because it's expected, but you don't expect it to uh, be any good. Well, look at Disney, for example, though. I mean, they've been, oh, they've been going well with the Netflix adaptations. I mean... They made a lot of money when Daredevil came out the first time around, and they decided to exp- pump it out even more with the other um, Netflix series, like The Punisher, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, The Defenders. Yeah, I feel like we're also reaching sort of peak superhero. Yeah. These, like, even the ones that aren't superhero, per se, like Winona Earp or uh, Van Helsing, uh, they, um, I think there's a particular feeling to these shows, and we're near peak comic book, I guess, peak comic book adaptation, because there's so many of them, and I don't think there's enough space in the market to have so many comic book adaptations. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like how the guy is saying, in the fourth quarter of the fiscal 2019, um, it's boosted by V Wars and the majority of October factions. Um they're saying that thanks to these, um, 2020 results will be so much better as a result. Well, he's the CEO. That's kind of his job. Yeah, he's, he makes it sound like he, he's sounding like as if um, he's, he's, actually no, he reminds me of that guy from E3, um, the head of EA, saying like, "Oh yeah, we suffered badly, but we'll get back up there. We'll somehow get back up there." But does he say it in such a weird voice, or does he just talk like a normal human being? Uh, he talks like a normal human being, but yeah. Oh, okay. So um. On the publishing side of things, IDW hasn't said anything uh, about the traditional comic book business. Um, the co- however, the comic book does extol the virtues of its extem- attempts to expand to both educational young reader graphic novel market into the Spanish language graphic market. Well, it's probably a good move. Like the Spanish speaking market is probably what two billion people. Yeah, you got yeah. pretty much all of South America except Brazil is 
Spanish-speaking. You've got Central America is Spanish-speaking. A large portion of the United States is Spanish-speaking. Um, then you've got Spain itself. Strangely enough, speaks Spanish. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, and you've got lots of other Spanish people around the world. you also got um, a lot of the Caribbean countries speak Spanish. Yeah, it's probably a good, good marketing position. Yeah. So, yeah, IDW, I don't know, man. It's... They're saying that Netflix will save them, but I don't know. This it feels like the spa- um, trying to expand the whole Spanish-speaking market feels like cold comfort, even though they're losing money. Well, they don't want to be a Disney princess, do they? <laughs> like, are we at peak Disney yet? Please make it stop. <laughs> hey, maybe if they run that company into the ground now, Disney won't buy them and take another bunch of Disney princesses. Uh, yeah, and actually, um, hang on. Yep. Doesn't IDW do the Star Trek um, comics? I saw. Hang a second. Oh, let's see that they say. See, Disney didn't even want to buy Star Trek; it bought Star Wars, so it went by IDW. <laughs> Thank you, J.J. Abrams. You ruined Star Trek. Dang it! What? Everyone hates J.J. Abrams for ruining Star Trek. Apparently, not everyone. Some people like it. Uh, it's a yeah. Star Trek was is an IDW pro, IDW publishing property. No, there you go. And they recently announced that there'll be a tra- Star Trek and Transformers crossover. Yay! That's not necessarily bad. I think it could be good. Uh, um. So what do you reckon, um, Bucky, with IDW losing a bucket load of money? Well, it's not news. It's something that's been happening for um, Western comic books for a while. Yeah. Because they keep hanging on to one idea and just giving it a rebirth and flogging a dead horse, which we've we've covered multiple times, even with um, Sean from Comics to Movies. Yeah. Um, they seem to have this thing, a lot of the American business culture, where you get a good idea and you just keep milking that idea, milking it, milking it, milking it. Even after it's dead and stagnant and become poisonous, you still keep trying to squeeze money out of it. And then you got the Japanese doing anime and manga. And most of those, they finish the series and they go on to another story. Yeah. You got some of them, such as Bleach and Naruto, where you've got hundreds and hundreds of episodes of bits and pieces. But yeah, like, yeah. there's so many. There's, there's literally such a massive catalogue of different types of anime. And the Chinese versions that are coming out uh following the exact same principle it's let's build up a great story then let me move on to something else so yeah yeah uh i i think idw's days that they're slow the comic book side is slowly dying but they're not really gonna they're not gonna explain it a lot they're just trying to um go with the netflix mod go with netflix and see how that how far that will go yeah so how has comic book revenue as a like Physical, not physical, because you can get digital comics. But how have comic books as a medium changed since the uh, superhero boom? Um, well, it depends on um, the genre you choose. Like, there's been a massive shift in the last decade or two away from the standard superhero, or, and it seems to be focused more on the anti-hero these days. Because everyone's sick and tired of the goody two shoes running around, and like not not meaning to diss on um, Superman here in a bad way, but everyone's sick and tired of the truth, justice in the American way. <laughs> yeah, that's what Go I back. was uh, saying a bit earlier while you were AFK. 
that mm-hmm. I think it's the um, we're getting the peak comic book where people are getting oversaturated with the uh, that style of comic book. Although, yeah. the, 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 uh, mind you, though, you, you you are getting a bit of like the whole true justice, the American way kind of thing, like with um, like Captain Marvel, for example. No, no, well, that's not true justice in the American way. That's a hippie. <laughs> Or are you talking about um, Shazam, Captain Marvel? Um, the um, Brie Larson one. Yeah, that's that's hippies. <laughs> that's Marvel. But see, even there, what's the biggest selling Marvel characters at the moment? Right now, um, you got uh, uh, th- the big three, like Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America. That's the ones that are being promoted the most. What are the fans liking most? I mean, the true fans, not the ones that are just jumping on board because of all the movies. Ooh. I, I would say Spider-Man, but... Yeah, Spider-Man. But then you've also got um, The Punisher. Um, See, I always thought The Punisher was more of the after The Punisher movie, the first Punisher movie that came out, not the Dolph Lundgren one, the, um, the Thomas Jane one came out, then everybody started loving The Punisher, but I could be dead wrong on this No. One. You see, The Punisher... Wasn't he a spin-off from Spider-Man? Yeah, he's he his first appearance was in Spider-Man, yeah. And it was it's that anti-hero where because that has become the more preferred option these days because people are sick and tired of the goody shoes where it's oh we got to arrest them and we we got to take him into custody and hand them over to face the court. Well, they tried whereas to do the whole. People, oh, but whereas people are going, but we don't want that because it's not working. They're not being reformed, so they keep coming back out and doing the same thing all over again. We want them to be shot. Well, they tried to do the whole anti-hero thing a while back. Remember when um, Toby Maguire was um, was doing the whole Black Spider-Man routine, <laughs> and he was trying to be the whole anti-hero. Um, you mean Venom? When you, yeah, when you had. The, when he had the Venom symbiote and he uh, tried to be all anti-hero about it, but it was yeah, but just... and Venom's become a, a staple character on his own. Yeah, I get and that. It has been for a while. Yeah, my what I was trying to say is they tr- the Marvel comics tried to do the whole Ven- um anti-hero thing a while back, but didn't work out well, and now they're doing it again. But they've learned a lesson. No, no, um, they're pushing the the flower child side of things because. They think that that's their main staple they, they, as far as a lot of their stuff. And they've been flogging that for decades. But you got your anti-heroes, whether it's the Punisher, Venom, um, Luke Cage, all of those, all, a lot of, all the new ones, they're not the heroes, they're the anti-hero because they're all vigilantes and they're trying not to necessarily kill, but they don't hold back on doing what needs to be done. Um, and that's... Just looking at the Marvel catalog, hmm. when you go, if you go over into looking at a lot of the others, like one of the one of the great TV series that came off of graphic novels was Dexter, and you also got Hack Slash and others, which I've, we've discussed before. And it's literally, it's people are sick and tired of. Oh, there's got to be a moral to the story. It's got to be. Let's do this. Sometimes you just want to see the bad guys just be taken out and beaten up and shot or whatever, you know? Like, everyone loved Dexter because he was a bad guy, but he was a good bad guy who only preyed on other bad guys. Yeah, yeah, that worked out well for them for, what, three seasons? So, I hear they don't like to talk about season four. They got seven seasons out of Dexter, wasn't it? I thought uh, it was six. Hang on a second. Either way, a lot of people thought the ending was a bit rubbish. Uh, yeah, no one was really happy about the ending, but overall it was... 
like the, the everyone loved the series, and the only reason why they didn't like the ending was the fact that everyone wanted it to keep going. Um, it was eight seasons. Oh, there you go. So I was closer than both of you two. Uh, anyways, um, so my second one is about uh, Margot Robbie's Birds of Prey. So the early audience reviews have arrived, and yeah, it looks very mixed reviews. And hang on, isn't this another anti-hero? Harley Quinn. Um, she started off as Joker's, she's Joker's girlfriend, and everyone's loving her, and she's still the bad guy but she's the good guy as well yeah yeah um so the reviews that came out and of the 76 have been shown 31 percent gave the film the maximum score of five stars that's about 41 percent of those who rated the film gave it the maximum score so one person gave the film 4.5 six gave it four seven gave it 3.5 four gave it three stars how many people gave it one star um four people gave it a one star and this is from the letterboxed uh, um, reviews. The average review rating for this ep- for this movie is three point three. Okay, so sounds a bit mediocre. Yeah. Uh, some of the reviewers were saying like the film didn't make much sense, but all my life I've seen guys fighting without any reason. Now watching girls kicking some asses for any reason fills you with power. Does this? Does this? Does this is what empowerment feels like? God, this guy's writing. <laughs> is okay. this what so- boys feel when watching those nonsense films? Give me more. And another nail in the coffin of intelligent cinema. <laughs> but I don't think this you can is tell actually... I'm so much more intelligent than you because I watched 2001 at Space Odyssey. <laughs> but here's the thing, though, right? Like, Birds of Prey isn't meant to be like a deep intellectual discussion in any way, shape, or form. It's just it's just about having a bit of fun. And all those and the ratings, like they're saying, there was 125 people who rated. However, only 76 are actually shown. I want to know what the rest of that 125 put up. Oh, well, there was... And the other other thing is, we always tell people, go watch it yourself and make up your own mind because of the simple fact that... Reviewers suck. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. most of the the people who write reviews aren't necessarily the fan base for these sorts of things. And then you get other people who go and put up reviews are usually they're just trying to feel special, get their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, that's why not many people, and that's why Rotten Tomatoes, which used to be a good site to look at for game review, for movie reviews, it's no one uses it anymore. It's just, what the hell, Rotten Tomatoes, you... Oh, no, 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 no. I use Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> like, seriously, they, they are a perfect um thermometer for whether or not the movie's going to be good or bad yeah i think if they say if they say a movie's going to be terrible (laughs) i can't get there quick enough to see it because that's that's advertising it's a great film you know you there are other websites like metacritic right oh the problem with bugs approach is that sometimes you'll get the room (laughs) yeah but honestly like going on their past performance it might be like one out of a thousand that they'll that it'll it'll get stuffed up on, but most of the time it's just yeah. I'm sorry, but most of, I, I can't stand critics coming out and going, "Oh, this film was terrible because it lacks the intellectual capacity." So, oh, if you, you, you the worst one from Rotten Tomatoes was um Chappelle's recent stand-up comedy. Like the critics reviewed it zero percent, while the audience score was ninety-eight percent. Yeah, wasn't yeah. wasn't it the opposite for the. Uh... That Amy Schumer one? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Yeah, um, the urban legend is that it was so bad that uh, that's the reason Netflix took away ratings. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then Amy Schumer said, like, oh, there's these trolls that, that um destroyed that um downvoted my comedy show. Well Yeah. That's also there's gonna happened. be trolls everywhere, but uh, but, but yeah, rot- I, I, Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, their credibility is, is just shot nowadays. I'm, I mean, it, it, they do. It, sometimes they can be on on the dot, but most of the times it's just you just missed the mark. On the on the dot, Rotten Tomatoes hasn't even been close to the dot in a long oh, time. I mean, the the, the 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 times they are on the dot, it's little to none. <laughs> little to none. <laughs> If they can get in, if they can get in the same country code as the dot, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I, I remember seeing a um, Rotten Tomatoes review. Oh, I can't remember the film, but whoever it was that wrote it was a complete nutter jackass because they were comparing, trying to compare a fantasy action. I can't remember what it was now, but they're trying to com- compare it to Citizen Kane, and I think oh. I think it was something. It, it, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It wasn't um, Conan the Barbarian, but it was something like that. And it wasn't intended to be a deep and intellectual thing. But this guy was in there, whoever it was at right, it was like, oh, he likes the fortitude of the fil- a film such as Citizen Kane and the moral fibre of um, the birds and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just sitting there going, huh? <laughs> Like seriously, that's like trying to compare. I don't know, like one of the, one of today's modern fighter jets with a stick for aer- aerodynamics. It's just complete opposites, and yet that's that's rotten tomatoes. Um, one of the reviewers um, gave out a very long review, um, basically saying, "I won't spoil anything out of respect for the studio." However, after seeing the, seeing the film. I can see the trailers have been meh. This movie gives uh, got an R rating, and it's a very hard R. I mean, it, uh, this might be the goriest mainstream comic book movie I've seen. You will see a face be sliced mm-hmm. open, broken bones, bleeding ears with bursting eardrums, a lot of cursing as well. Um, box office potential, I think the goal will hurt its chances in getting kids to go see it. This is a movie that's really not meant for kids. It's pretty brutal. Um, I think this will make John Wick numbers. Probably a bit more given Harley Quinn's brand, two hundred million plus domestically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's going to be. Uh, I mean, normally, like when people give out reviews like this, the the studios would go, "Okay, we we might need to do some reshoots and stuff." I know this would be. This is sounds like they don't need to do anything. They need, they they shouldn't do anything. I reckon. It sounds like studios are starting to realize that not everything needs to be PG. The reason yeah. they do that is that R-rated movies have historically sold poorly. Uh, there's a bit of a renaissance of uh, R-rated movies recently. Yeah. Well, that was um, was it Snakes on a Plane with um, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> what? <laughs> Originally, that was um, being was it was slated to be a PG, and he had to lobby to have it so that they kept it. 
it, it pushed up to be an R rating so that it could be the film that it ended, they ended up with. And that was that <laughs> they even wanted to change the name. Like when he signed on, he loved it because of the title, Snakes on a Plane. And then they wanted to change it to something else. I can't remember what. And he threatened a wall. So they left it as Snakes on a Plane. And that was wildly successful. So, yeah. yeah. I did recall once that. Um... The movie Logan, for example, they want um, Hugh Hugh Jackman uh, took a bit big pay cut to make it R rating, apparently. Yeah, because people want like you got some of the content that you need is going to push it to an R rating. People are, are wanting that, and there's getting to be a lot more of the stuff that wasn't considered an R rating a couple of decades ago is now considered an R rating. Um, by the way, Buck, the they wanted to change the snakes the title of the move from Snakes on a Plane to Pacific Air Flight One Two One. Well you go, see? Would you go and see Pacific Air Flight One Two One? Or come and see Samuel L. Jackson with Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. So uh anyways fellas, so final thoughts on the two topics before we move on? Um well I think um your your second topic kind of proved my point about the anti hero. Because mm-hmm. even the, even the review you read there, like they're talking about John Wick. So yeah, yeah. What about you, Professor? My thoughts? Well, I probably won't go and see Birds of Prey, but it sounds vaguely interesting. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if IDW uh, failed in the next five years, judging by their uh, most recent um, financial reports. Yeah. Which would be unfortunate because I enjoy Winona Rock. I mean, I, I, personally for me, I, I wish them luck if they do well with the like with their Netflix adaptations. If it if it kick, if it goes off well, I mean, I wish them luck. But I oh, know, man. Yeah, Come I on. wish them luck. I just think we're at a peak superhero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even with the Lock and Key trailer that's coming out, I like Stranger Things cloned. But anyway, so uh, moving along, uh, Bucky, you've got a story about the Tarantula Nebula. Yes, I do. Thank you very much, DJ. Do we have to do the rest of the episode in these voices, or? <laughs> oh, I mean, I could. I, I, I'm, I'm like your per- hype man. Like, and now the next topic. Bucky! Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, as has been stated, this, yep, first up for myself this week, I have some images have been captured of the Tarantula Nebula, which have been captured by the Spitzer um, Satellite Observatory or whatever it is. Um, uh, it's a, it's, a infrared telescope um, array system that was launched back in 2003, I think it was. Um, that's the Spitzer Space Telescope. Um, and the first images that it captured were of the Tarantula Nebula. Which is just a lovely name. Do we really need spiders in space? Some of you old Jackson, if you're listening, that's my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, honestly, I, I reckon spiders in space would be cool. Wait, didn't they already do that with um, Starship Troopers? No, that was bugs. Ah. Oh. But, um, yeah, the the big thing about this is the fact that the Spitzer telescope is actually about to be shut down on the 30th of January. Its mission is drawing, drawing to a close on January the 30th. So as an homage to 
its origins. They've generated a whole new view of the nebula, and they're getting a lot more data that's absolutely been making them get all excited and answering questions, but raising questions as well, because there's a lot of stuff that is only visible from on an infrared scale it doesn't show up a lot of other stuff such as um particles and so forth moving through some of the gas clouds and in the recent images they've got two really cool things that they've been looking at which is in the nebula it also hosts um the r136 which is a star region which is a starburst region where massive form massive um stars have been formed in close proximity at a much higher rate than other areas and in an extremely limited area so and you've got to take into account this is in space and we're talking about with stars so within r136 in an area that's less than one light year which is 9 trillion kilometres, there are more than 40 massive stars, which each containing at least 50 times the mass of our sun, whereas for our sun, there's no other stars within a light year. So, yeah, like... Come on, faster than light travel, please. Come on, faster than light travel. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great place for a holiday. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see people go, go, getting all twisted out of shape there just because the gravitational forces would just be so insane. <laughs> um, the laws of physics over there would be pretty wonky. Well, I don't... The laws I, I of physics the, would be the same. Yeah, the, a, a person travelling through there would be wonky because <laughs> the gravitation, uh, gravitational effect would be pulling you in so many different ways. Like, you've got 40 massive stars that are 50 times the mass of our sun with it all in close proximity. That is going to hurt. But the other really cool thing is there's an area known as SN1987A, which is a supernova that exploded. And it was the first one spotted in 1987. And they're still tracking the shockwave. And the way that that's encountering material... At, is only visible and measurable on the infrared. So if you go and have a look at some of the images, it's the pictures we've got here in this article are pretty cool looking sort of things, but I'd love to see some of the um, star, the NASA's um, more in-depth pictures showing the shockwave passing through um, some of the particles and so forth, just because it's got to be one of the coolest images you'll get. Also, isn't a, isn't a supernova, like, after a supernova, there's a black hole that comes to a death of a star? No. The star needs to be above a certain mass to form a black hole. And it's got to collapse in the right way. Like it's, it's, it, it's kind of like finding a, a planet that's habitable for humans. It's got to be in that Goldilocks. So for a black yeah, hole so- to form, it's the same thing. There's, there's got to be the Goldilocks combination of events. Okay. Because stars are exploding all the time. Yeah, so not every star will go supernova, and not every supernova will become a black hole. And not every supernova that starts to form a black hole at the end, like fully completes that transformation. Um, yeah, like there's just... There's so many varying factors that have got to be taken into account that if if one thing's not there, it just doesn't happen. Like yeah. It's like trying to make a cake. If you try and bake a cake and you forget to put in 
um, the caster sugar. It just doesn't set right. What's probably more likely is uh, star dwarf stars. They're basically the uh, remnants of the star from the, like blew off its outer layers in the supernova, and you just have the core of the star that's too cold to be a proper star. Mm-hmm. Still wouldn't want to touch it, though. It's still pretty damn hot. Yeah, you could definitely throw an egg at a reasonable distance. But um, I'm, I, between 1987A and I'm 136, I'm pretty torn on which one I'd want to check out most just because both of them have so much interesting effects that are happening, like watching the, the expanding shockwave. And we've got to remember, this is going to be in a global, like it's a globe formation. So it's going out in a full globe. It's not a ring going out. Yes. Unlike um, what Star Wars thinks, explosions in space don't form rings. Yes. Well, depending on how the, on how the explosion happens, but yeah. Um, but with R136, even just seeing how the light travels through, because you've got so much gravitational twisting of, of everything going through, it would, it would be really, really cool just to study how that, like when that moves across different areas and you're going to see stars suddenly just twist and go into big long strings all of a sudden and then move halfway across the screen of where you're looking at them sort of thing. Just because, there, yeah, just the, the change of the gravitational effect on that area where light's travelling through. Like, yeah, um, it's got to be one of those truly cool things. And main reason why I brought it up is the fact that it's literally just because the Spitzer is being retired on January 30. And, yeah, it's brought us some of the most brilliant images. So, yeah. Which, which would you want to see most? Professor? I think if anyone offered me a trip out to see him, I wouldn't be able to pick. I'd just have to go with whatever they offered. They're both so amazing. I the most disappointing thing about nebulas is that they don't look like that in real life. Yeah. But supernovas, even though they take hundreds of years, would still be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. DJ? Um, I would love to, I would like to see the cluster. Just to see how how it forms and stuff. Yeah, like Professor said it's nothing it won't be, be like in the picture, but Hey. Well, the um, a star cluster would be one of the more accurate sort of things to see because you'd just be looking at lots of stars in a uh, close area. Yeah, but as I, as I was saying, like you got the gravity, like the the, re, like the way they detect um, black holes is the gravity affecting the way light and so forth moves and behaves in that area and how other stars and planets move. I, I'd love to see how how are they moving. Like what's what's the pattern of their movement and how does it affect everything else around it? That would just that, that would just be one of the coolest things. So, and the reason why it was called the tarantula is because it kind of looks like a tarantula. Yeah. By the way, it does remind me of a uh, kid show called um, The Amazing World of Gumball. In one episode, they have the planets singing, but because they're planets and everything's on such a different scale, the people on Earth will just like. What's going on? I feel like that's what I feel like going to see a, a supernova or a nebula. Okay. Um, and just for, for those wondering about um, the origin of the word tarantula, um, it's from the old Latin or Italian, um, Tarantola, which is the name of a seaport, Taranto. So, yeah. Okay. But... Moving on to the next topic, because we've been rabbiting on for a fair while. Um, if, is The robot tank is coming back. So for those who have watched RoboCop, the scene at the start of the movie where the robot 
shoots up, shoots the um, guy holding the gun in the boardroom, even though he's put the gun down, is actually kind of based on real real events. Where in 1985, the there was a um, computer controlled anti aircraft tank that was doing a demonstration, kind of made a mistake when it's electronic brain locked guns onto a stand packed with top generals reviewing the device. Yes, luckily it didn't fire, but there were apparently a few minor injuries from everyone diving off the stands. Yes, and unfortunately the portable toilet did get shot instead of the target drone. So for all those people who um, needed to use the toilet after having been having a gun aimed at them for a bit, there wasn't a toilet. So that would have been a bit of a messy situation. But a nightmare. Yes. Um, we've now got um, some re-releases. So the M247, Sergeant York, which was the embarrassing failure that targeted the um, generals, has been replaced. And is actually there's actually people out there... Like there's actually units operating at the moment with unmanned grand, ground vehicles, and um, they're using them to as a um, workhorse that follows along behind um, APCs and so forth, carrying ammunition and fuel and water. So they've got extra extra luggage carrying along behind instead of having it on a trailer. It's on its own little control system and on running on tracks. So. But um, yeah, like there's Estonian soldiers that are using it. So, and the English are also using um, UGVs, the unmanned ground vehicle. And just to, as a bit of a nod and respect, um, the one that the Estonian soldiers are using is actually from an Estonian company called Milrem. And the UK, the British ones, are based off of that. And, but they've got modifications to it to make a little bit more um, diverse in their behaviour. So they've got them, they're calling them the Titan, and they're an electric diesel um, operation engine hybrid system to give them a bit more um, range, but also for stealth. So they've got them, they, the British have got them set up with um, weather, a, a range of things such as sensors and um, some guns, but they're not shooting on their own. They've got people do, operate, operating the guns. But, um, yeah, they've got cameras on there to, to do spying and they've got all sorts of different bits and pieces. But then, because the British have been doing so well with this, the Americans have decided to get back into the game. <laughs> and apparently someone was watching um, Fast and Furious 8 where they had the ripsaw, or maybe they saw it on um, Top Gear or something like that because they had the same thing there. There's a company in America that creates a lightweight... Um, all-terrain vehicle called the Ripsaw and the Americans have decided, hey, we could use that. So they've been added, they've got them with a range of equipment. Once again, they've got it with guns on it, but it's they've got to have a person give the permission for it to shoot, but they've got um, all sorts of tracking information and once again, this is operating on a hybrid system, so it can sneak up on the, on the enemies before shooting. The cool what thing, with, sorry, I was going to say the really cool thing with the Ripsaw though is it also has um, it has a telescoping um, sensor array so that rises up for being able to see over extended terrain area. It but it also has a drone that can fly up and get gain extra information. 
but then it also has what it calls the marsupial process, where it has a trapdoor that opens at the front to release a mini um, robot, similar to what they use for bomb disposal stuff, where it, so it can go into buildings and look for people and whatnot, probably even drop off a couple of grenades if you wanted it to, but yeah. This reminds me something from, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie Law Abiding Citizen. Yeah. Yeah, do you remember that scene where they're at the graveyard and Jer- and Jared Butler's got this um, remote controlled tank and he's and it's got like and attached to the is a um, submachine gun, no, not submachine gun, a, a one big ass gun, a rocket launcher, an EMP device, and he's just mowing the the four wheel drives. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, this is driving itself, though. They've um, got AI systems and machine learning so that the vehicles are able to drive themselves around and be utilized as scout vehicles. So you have the tanks and APCs with people going through one area and they send out these UGVs to scout ahead and see what's happening and to move into positions so they can see what the enemy's up to while keeping people back further. So, and considering the fact that with um, some of the weapons they've got with the missiles and so forth, they can strap a laser detonator on these things yeah. and they, paint um, the target and shoot them. Yeah. By the way, the system that they, um, the, the, in that movie Law Biases, and it's called the Remote Controlled Weapon Station, which is, in that, the acronym is RCWS. Uh, it's a remotely controlled weaponized system, often equipped with fire control system for light and me- medium caliber weapons. Um, it it may also be retrofitted into ex- um, existing vehicles, for example, the Crows system, which is known as the commonly re- uh, remotely operated weapon system. So, um, yeah, looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Second, I'll post up the for you. It's similar to the drone. But, yeah, like, the, the cool thing with this is the fact that these um, robot tanks are driving themselves around you employing machine learning to navigate to various terrain so it's it's a further advancement in technology so i'd like to see more more vehicles that i would like to see do like added on to like spider spider robots can you imagine dozens of those with ai that can learn give it a few years <laughs> I'm liking the idea of like the, the UGVs they've got. Like the rip, the ripsaw is looking pretty cool. But even the one that the British and the Estonian soldiers are using, like they they describe it as a uh, like the that one is being the size of a lawnmower. That's a pretty big lawnmower. Looking at it, um, I, I'd I'd love to see one of those. But you could have that as um, a your garbage collection system for some places. <laughs> like, yeah. Can you imagine aiming a tank at the house, saying, "Hey, you there? Give me garbage, <laughs> or else I'll well, fire not, at your boss. I don't mean like that, but for like in um, factories and so forth, we they have um, garbage collection points. And you have someone who goes around with um, forklifts and so forth and gathers them into a larger skip bin and whatnot. And instead of doing that, you could have one of these running around and you collect the garbage into that and you have a person come along who travels around with it and just puts all the garbage, like helps operate putting the garbage into it. Yeah, like this is a... To something that's going to be, I can see so many more uses for it. It's true, true. All right. Um. So, final thoughts on the two topics, fellas. When can I buy my own robot tank? 
Um, well, they haven't said that it's for sale to the public, but it is Estonian. So I can imagine like Amazon buying a, buying the rights to this and making it a consumer friendly product. I wouldn't be surprised if um, this sort of tech gets used by Amazon for delivery bots. Well, yeah, literally at the moment, um, it is user friendly. It, like, it, it isn't a gun platform in and of itself. It's just a mo- it's just a transport vehicle. Yes, we can't risk the robots rising up against us, so we don't give them guns. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah, you wanted a pizza delivery system for Domino's and so forth. Oh, here you go. <laughs> go go kick this thing and try and knock it over. <laughs> Imagine trying to steal that tank. (laughs) If you can pick it up and put it into the back of a car, you're doing well. (laughs) Keep in mind, it's going to be encrypted so that you can't steal it. No, no, but people were actually stealing um, the entire robots. That you remember, we had about the, some of the food service delivery bots that were being trialed in some some areas. Oh, yeah. yeah, apparently someone was actually with some of the earlier ones. People had actually stolen the entire unit. You would need a tow truck to steal this, and then you got to try and drag it up onto the back of the tow truck while it's driving away. I think this thing might have enough torque that it would pull away from the tow truck. <laughs> kind of hard to explain what's going on there when it gets back to the pizza shop and it's got it's dragging a tow truck on its side down the road, sparks coming out from underneath it. <laughs> so what happened here? So yeah, I, I'm I'm loving I'm loving the the UGVs and it's sad to see um, the Spitzer is retiring. So yeah, but it's going out with a bang though. I mean, that's a cool. Don't, that's a cool... don't say going out with a bang. <laughs> it's probably got a nuclear core for to, to operate it, fella. <laughs> well, it's been in space since. 2003 you don't just put normal battery packs on for something like that these things if if they go out with a bang it's a big bang <laughs> i didn't mean literally <laughs> i mean you don't, even, don't even say that you don't don't tempt it <laughs> do not encourage the robot uprising <laughs> do not encourage the satellite to explode <laughs> So if we get invaded you... by aliens now, it's your fault. <laughs> yes, I'll go down in history as the man who who ruined the world. You said it, not us. <laughs> okay, so what's next? Um, so next up is our shout-outs. Got on the twenty sixth of January twenty twenty, uh, Kobe Bryant died. Um, on January twenty sixth, um, a Sikosi S-76B helicopter crashed into Calabasas, uh, California, around 30 miles, which is 48 kilometers northwest of Los Angeles, en route to Camarillo, California. What type of helicopter was that again? Sikorsky. Ah, that's not what you said. I know, Sarkozy. I said Sarkozy. Yes, which is a Hungarian name, not a helicopter. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Thank you. Hungarians Um, are not helicopters. Um, it was carrying former basketball player Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, six family friends, including baseball coach John Alto- Altobelli and his wife and daughter and the pilot. All on board were killed. And that was a pretty tragic. Damn, I didn't realize there were that many people on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You missed out. Stuart Diver was in the glove box. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
Oh, that's too soon. Oh, too soon, too soon. So soon. We're Australia. We laugh at anything. Oh, uh, yeah, fair point. But yeah, I, it's been. It was crazy when uh, when news of his death came out. I mean, who would have thought <sighs> Kobe Bryant out of all the people would have died? <sighs> Anyways, um, twenty sixth of January, twenty twenty, Australian of the Year, twenty twenty awards, um. Came out and um, eye surgeon John. Oh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get killed for this. Uh, music. He um, he was being awarded the Australian of the Year. Um, he was award, He was honored in a ceremony in Canberra in 2000. He co-founded Vision Myanmar at the South South Australia Institute of Ophthalmology and later co-founded Sight for All, a social impact organization aiming to create the world where everyone can see. More recently, Dr. Muick's um, role has specifically focused on preventing the lead causing of blindness in adults type 2 diabetes. While accepting the award from Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Dr. Muick said he viewed type 2 diabetes something that impacts nearly one in every 10 Australians as a looming catastrophe for our health system. Um, on the 28th of January 1958, LEGO patents its first bricks. The LEGO groups, which, he- which headquarters in Belund, um, Denmark patented its design for interlocking plastic bricks. The design was so stable that the those bricks can still be used with Lego sets created today. Today, the Lego group based in Denmark is worth more than a billion dollars. Um, and on to our remembrances, uh, 26th of January 2020, Louis Nirenberg, um, Canadian-American mathematicians, uh, mathematician, considered one of the most outstanding mathematicians of the 20th 20th century. He made fundamental contributions to linear and non-linear partial differential equations and their applications to complex anal- analysis and geometry. His contributions include the Gagliardo-Nirenberg interpolation inequality, which is important in the solution of the elliptic partial differential equations that arise in many areas of mathematics, and the formularization of the bounded means oscillation known as the John Nirenberg space, which is used to study the behavior of both elastic materials and games of chance known as martingales. He died at the age of 94 in New York. I mean, those are all words, but what do they mean, DJ? <laughs> in other words, he means... he. he uh, they're trying to say is he found a way to um, he found a unit of um, study in um, understanding games of chance. But how how did he explain games of chance? <laughs> oh dear God, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna jump into that rabbit. <sighs> Anyways, um, 28th of January 1918, Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, a Canadian poet, physician, author, artist, and soldier during World War One, and a surgeon during the Second Battle of Ypres in Belgium. He's best known for writing the famous war poem in Flanders Field. McRae died of pneumonia in the, near the end of the war. Um, in Flanders Field, ap- uh, appeared anonymously in Punch on December 8, 1915, but in the Index to that year, McRae was named as the author. The verses swiftly became one of the most popular poems of the war, used in countless fun- fundraising campaigns and frequently translated. He died from pneumonia with extensive new mucocus meningitis at the age of 45 in Bologna, Sumer. 
Uh, take it. One of you guys know the po- know the poem. I mean, we all do. It's not like they don't say it every year at Remember and Say. Mm-hmm. And I read it to you the other night. Uh, I, I haven't actually. I haven't heard that poem before. To be honest, the only mm. war poem I've ever heard was Dulce. Ah, uh, oh, it's, it's a very famous poem. Dulce. Why is it that when you can't remember something, you sound like you're in pain? Oh, uh, here we are. Dulce ex. Et decorum est. Poem by Wolf, Wolfred Owen. That's the one. Do you speak Latin? Yes. Love Latin. You 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 speak Latin. You want me to speak Latin now? I, I'm struggling to believe you speak Latin. <laughs> no, I don't speak Latin. Anyways, I'm on the 28th of January, 1996. Uh, Jerry Siegel. Uh, Jerome Siegel, who also used uh, pseudonyms including Joe Carter and Jerry, Jerry S., was an American comic book writer. His famous creation was Superman, which he created in collaboration with his friend Joe Schuster. Siegel and Schuster have been developing the Superman story uh, and character since 1933, hoping to sell it as a syndicated newspaper comic strip. But after years of fruitless um, soliciting to the syndicate, Siegel and Schuster agreed to publish Superman in a comic. In March 1938, they sold all rights to Superman to the comic book publisher Detective Comics Incorporated, another forerunner of DC, for 130 bucks, which would be $2,361 when adjusted to inflation. Siegel and Schuster later regretted their decision to sell Superman after he became an astonishing success. DC Comics now owned the character and reaped the royalties. Nevertheless, DC Comics retains Siegel and Schuster as the principal writer and artist for Superman comics, and they're well paid because they were popular with the readers. He died from a heart attack at the age of 81 in Los Angeles, California. You know what I'm hearing tonight? Don't go to Los Angeles. <laughs> in fact, don't go to America. <laughs> You'll die in America. <laughs> um, yeah, there go our American listeners. <laughs> You, you 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 laugh at people dying. Hey, the professor was the one that started it. Did he? Yes, he did. Anyways, on the twenty eighth of January sixty-seven, Johann Hevelius, uh, counselor and mayor of Danzig, uh, Kingdom of Poland, as an astronomer, he gained a reputation as the founder of lunar topography and described ten new constellations seven of which are still used by astronomers. He discovered four comets in 1652, 1661, 1672, and 1677. These discoveries led to his thesis that such bodies revolve around the sun in parabolic paths. He was born in Danzig, Pomeranian, Vovivo de Ship. Um, 28th of January 1912, Jackson Pollock, American painter and major figure in the abstract expressionist movement. He was widely noticed for his technique of pouring or splashing liquid household paint onto a horizontal surface, also known as the drip technique, enabling him to view and paint this canvas from all angles. It was also called action painting since he used the force of his whole body to paint, often in a frenetic dancing style. This extreme form of abstraction divided the critics. Some praised the immediacy and fluency of the creation, while others derided the random effects. He was born in Cody, Wyoming. Yeah, I reckon he was um, sitting back with a, a few mates and they saw some pretentious art lovers and he turned to his mates after having painted his front porch and said, <laughs> look, you see those idiots over there that they, they think everything is art? I'm going to sell them the drop sheet 
that I had underneath your porch to catch the paint. <laughs> and I'm going to tell them it's my drip technique of painting, and they're going to give me a million dollars for it. And that's how we started. Could, would you, okay, could you say Jackson Pollock is the guy that, that that developed modern art to what it is now, which is basically a pointless exercise? Don't say that too loud. The modern artists will come after you now. <laughs> yeah, what are they going to do? I put glasses, put their glasses on the corner of my room. Go and say, see, this is protest art. Uh, how can we do this show with someone who's so uncultured? <laughs> Um, okay, moving along. Uh, 28th of January 1966, Seiji Mizushima, a Japanese anime storyboard artist and director. He has directed su- such series such as Shaman King, the first Full Metal Alchemist series, Mobile Suit Gundam Double uh, Zero, Ungo, and Concrete Revolucio. He also directed anime films such as Full Metal Alchemist, Co- Conqueror of Shambhala, and Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zero, the movie. Awakening of the Trailblazer. He was born in Fushu, um, Tokyo. And on to our events of interest, uh, 28th of January 1887, the first digging work on Eiffel Tower started. It took two years, two months, and five days after construction began. The pieces of iron were are connected by 2.5 million rivets. They were pl- put in place between 150 and 300 workers who were employed to build the structure. The structure may be named after Gustav Eiffel, but it was actually his senior engineers, Maurice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stuff this up, Koshlian, Koshlian and Emil Noguia, um, who designed the building. I wonder what they were actually going to build there. Like they, they got all the scaffolding up. They just never put up what it was supposed to be. <laughs> uh, but you got to admire the French, though. The, I mean, that was a pretty <laughs> monumental task. And they did it in record time. Anyways, um, 21st of January, 18, oh, 1981, the world land speed record on a public road is broken by Rudolf Caraciola in the Mercedes-Benz W195 at a speed of 432.7 kilometers per hour, which is 268 miles per hour. The streamlined car was derived from the 1937 open-wheel car race car Mercedes-Benz W125 4-mil Renwagen, of which also a streamlined version was raced at a non-championship uh, of its Beren in Berlin. And... The main difference to the Grand Prix race car, which what which he had to adhere to the 750 kilogram limit, was the engine. While the GP car had the eight-cylinder inline M125, which was rather tall, the record car was fitted with V12 engine, which that was lower, which reduced the drag. It remained and- the fastest ever officially timed speed on a public road until broken on the 5th of November 2017 by Koenigsegg. Uh, and it looks like if Apple designed a computer mouse. I mean, they have, <laughs> but you know what I mean. In an Agera RS driven by Nicolas Lilija, achieving 445.6 kilometers per hour. Okay. Um, that was Nicolas Lilija. Ah, thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, it's... He's one of the legends we got to love. Um, on the 28th of January 1896, Walter Arnold of East Packham, Kent, became the first person to be convicted of speeding. He was fined one shilling plus cost for speeding at 8 miles per hour, which is 13 kilometers per hour, thereby exceeding the contemporary speed of 2 miles per hour, which is 3.2 kilometers per hour. 
Um, the London Daily News detailed the four counts, also known as informations, on which Walter Arnold faces faced charges at Tunbridge Wells Court. Arnold's vehicle was described several times in the newspaper court report as a horseless carriage, and the case clearly raised some interesting philosophical as well as legal points for the bench. What philosophical points would they raise? (laughs) Well, they're saying that it's a locomotive without a horse and that you need more than three, you need three people at least in charge of a locomotive. So this guy had no horse and was operating his locomotive by himself. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like, oh, this, uh, oh, will this harm the general public? Or will this harm? Well, that the, was is, part of the question. I mean, the legal point may be, but the philosophical, I just can't see it. Do, they, do you need to travel at this speed? You just don't understand philosophy enough, DJ. You can't understand it hey hey philosophy pun (laughs) there we go i'm just gonna nod my head backwards while i finish this the case had have had an influence on the change to legislation shortly afterwards the fearsome machines no longer needed a minimum of three people to control them my question is how did they prove that he was going at eight miles per hour. Apparently a cop saw it and, yeah. But how did he know it was eight miles per hour? He didn't have a speed gun. <laughs> did he break the speed limit himself to catch up to him? Oh, well, the eyes, are, they always say nothing moves faster than a human eye, apparently, back in the day. Well, that's a bit wrong. Light moves faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, um... Anything else before we wrap it up? Um, have we got someone well, for a shout-out for TNC? Yes, we've uh, just got a new member of the TNC family. Podcast Nine and Three Quarters, a Harry Potter podcast. Oh, nice. Nice. So there's something for all the potheads. Or pot, pot, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> so, That's going to yeah. go down very nicely. <laughs> So where where can they find us, um, DJ? Um, they can find us on Facebook, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Um, they can find us on Twitter at and amalgamated. All of our all of our contact details will be attached on our show notes. They can also find us on Instagram and on that's not Awesome. Um, anyways, that's it for this week. Um, see you guys. Remember to take care of yourselves, look out for each other, and stay hydrated. And we will we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.